Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Judy. Today we've got Simon on and he's a full stack developer. Hi, Simon. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Yes, good. Thank you. Very good. Let's um, let's jump straight in then, Simon. So do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you actually do? Yeah. So basically, I am a full stack web developer, which means that I work on web applications uh, specifically. So, I mean, at this point, that is basically any website um, with a good amount of functionality. So a web app would be Facebook, uh, Airbnb's website, um, you know, those kinds of things where it's sort of really feature rich and you're you know, maybe you're logging in and you're, you're kind of really doing something uh, there um, more than just, say, you know, browsing or what have you. Uh, and being full stack means that I work the whole way through what we refer to as the tech stack. So I won't go too tech, but um, there are three layers to most web applications, which okay. is the front end, which is the bit that you kind of think about when you think of a website. That's the bit that, with the buttons and the forms and what have you, um, the user interface. Then there's the server, which I think most people have, have heard of uh, servers. And that's where uh, a lot of the kind of backend processing is, uh, algorithms and, and that kind of thing that we, we hear a lot about these days with Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and then the database and the infrastructure. So really end to end, um, I do the full stack uh, and each of those layers can be their own role um, but uh, yeah when you're full stack you you work at every single level so you need to you need to know quite a bit about about what's going on in the system I have been so excited to get actually get on and, and start talking to you because I've only just discovered this world of coding of development okay I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of blown my mind um, we had a, <laughs> a couple of guys on who specialize in in this kind of area but within legal so they're legal tech okay. um, yeah, and yeah. that kind of like piqued my interest but we I will probably absolutely crucify some terminology and not know no, what I'm talking fine. about but <laughs> it's just it's so interesting because we were actually talking me and Jules before we come on the podcast how um, we kind of think that coding um, you know in a hundred years time you'll look back and if you can't code it's almost like we look at people who can't read and write it's going to be like yeah. a crucial skill set yeah, no, I think so. And I think when you look at the the changes that are happening in education um, and the big push for coding literacy, um, it's it's a way of thinking. I, I don't think, I think one of the kind of thinkings at the moment is if we teach everyone to code, then everybody can code and go into a job as a coder. But I think it will become more like maths and English and science where... Mm you learn those subjects from a young age, but you don't go and necessarily do them, but in your day job and in your career, but they arm you with a set of tools and a way of thinking about problems and give you kind of a good foundation of how the world works. And, and yeah, you're right. I think software and, and coding is such a big part of our lives already in a way that it wasn't even 10 or 15 years ago. In a hundred years, it is going to be as uh, integrated into our society as you know languages and maths and science as a fundamental part you know at that point there won't be anybody alive who was pre-internet um and that means that it's just going to be the way of the world everything is connected all the time and i think having a really good strong understanding from a young age uh will be kind of vital um i think we're a transitionary period um, at the moment of people that remember what the times were like before um, and uh, and so we're sort of working it out as we go but I think yeah we, we need to kind of set the foundation for people in the future 
I was going to say, me, me and Jules were the, the kind of generation that grew up with the, the PS1, PS2. and, and Yeah, that so the, that was the internet yeah, yeah. of things. That was right? it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I still remember that dial up sound of yes. uh, connected to the internet. I won't try and do the impressive. <laughs> yeah, when I, I started uh, playing a game when I was about 10 years old, my parents still had dial up internet. And I think after two months, they changed the internet supply very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, if, if nothing else, just to stop you complaining, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what made you get into this whole? new world of, of coding and development yeah so i so i'd actually had three attempts at learning to code um it was always something that interested me from a young age uh i remember my dad explaining a couple of aspects of what's called binary which is representing numbers in ones and zeros which is how computers think i remember him explaining that to me when i was like six or something uh at the time <laughs> i had no idea why he was doing that but that's what dads do right yeah. um and and i think when i got to about 11 or 12 i was like i want to code computer games and i think an awful lot of people who come into coding particularly around that time that's their first thing right because we play games we're kids it's fun i want to learn how to code computer games so I had a little crack there, got a book, didn't get very far. I think I broke the computer and dad had to fix it, <laughs> uh, which was great. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't making games. Like I wasn't, you know, the, 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 the barrier to entry was, was pretty high uh, back then. Um, and so it, it was like, oh, I'm just doing boring things. So I've kind of lost interest. And then um, on my degree, uh, they tried to teach us, I did an electronics degree. Uh, they tried to teach us in the, first and second year and i just had no interest in the things that they were teaching us how to program it just didn't i couldn't get the relevance of it i was like we're doing electronics why are we doing all of this and then the third time that I actually stuck was on my phd where you're kind of set out into a research lab on your own to just make stuff and find new things and it became pretty quick to apparently pretty quickly i really need to learn how to code and so because i then had a reason to do it that's what I, I then stuck with it. And just that first moment of like solving a problem with code myself, uh, I'll never forget that rush of like, huh, I just did this and I solved the problem using code. And now I never have to solve that problem again. And that's what that's what got me into it. I just, I, I had the bug at that point. Um, and this was kind of 2010, yeah, 2009, 2010. And, um, and yeah, so that, that's what kind of made me think, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do um, moving forward. So obviously you were there forced with a, with a problem you had to solve, but what, what sort of um, coding language do you use? How did you find the steps to, to get yourself going and start learning about this? Yeah. So um, back when I, I first learned uh, the online resources were nowhere near as good as they are now. I already knew that books weren't going to cut it for me. I wasn't a sit down and go through a book person um, for learning to code. I wanted something more interactive and I found, I don't know how, but I'm so glad I did. Um, I found a course put out on the internet by Harvard University for free. Um, I think it was on iTunes U back when that was a thing. I don't know if that's still <laughs> a thing now. Um, called CS50, Computer Science 50. And it's their introduction to computer science. And it is, I think it's the course that Mark Zuckerberg took. Um, oh, wow. well, I think he could code before he came into that. Um, and it's had a number of kind of very uh, well-known um, tech people go through that course. And it's, it's, it's kind of legendary on Harvard's campus of being a really great course to take. All the lectures were up for free. All the problem sets were up for free. And the lecture lecturer was just amazing a guy called david malan um and i would imagine there are many people around the world who could credit 
start of their careers to Batman because he just made programming so relatable and in the course of all these videos he walked you through the fundamentals um you know how to construct programs your first couple of languages i think by the time i'd gone through that course i'd used three programming languages um c php um html css for websites uh, a fun little drag and drop one called scratch which is great for kids so if anyone listening has kids that they want to sort of think get into programming take a look at scratch it's a really really fun colorful visual programming language made by MIT. Um, and yeah, that course gave me a really good grounding. Uh, it was very challenging. It was, it was hard, pretty hard. Um, but uh, it just gave me a really solid grounding um, on the fundamentals and a great way to step off into other areas. Um, so, so yeah, like I, I can 100% credit the start of my career to, to an online lecturer in the US who has never met me or heard of me, but you know, a big impact <laughs> on mine and I think many other people's lives. So, so yeah. So working in the industry, um, have you now seen people come into the industry that have taken specific degrees within coding? You, you yourself did a tech degree, but maybe there's yeah. degrees out there now that are really, really just coding focused. Yeah. And so computer science um, is is the main degree. Um, and yeah, there are derivatives of that, the sort of computer engineering, uh, software engineering, web development. But CS is kind of the main um, degree that people would take to come into the industry. I should say, though, that you absolutely do not need a degree to work in this industry. Um, but CS, that seems to be the main one that pe people have um, something with um sort of computer in the title is, is a really good entry point um computer science is interesting the word science kind of gives it away is it is not a, a kind of direct um mapping to exactly what you're doing in your day job it is more kind of fundamentals um learning about design patterns and algorithms and um sort of optimizations and that kind of thing it's a bit more academic um and when you kind of then come into the industry with a cs degree you know the first task you'll get is make this button blue um make that button red um and so it can be a bit of a kind of come down to earth for people off the back of what is quite a complicated degree mm. um but it is a really good uh way into the industry that kind of sets you up for long-term success however the demand for programming and coders is just absolutely through the roof right now it's just ridiculous and it seems to have kind of really gone up in the last six months to a year um and so there are other than the ability to code self-taught or otherwise there are no real prerequisites um but if you did want to go and do a degree then computer science technology web development software engineering those are the titles you want to be looking for so let's someone like me who is very very new to this whole kind of world and understanding mm -hmm. it where do software developers work what kind of industries are you in and what kind of companies do you work for it might seem like a simple yeah. question but no i think it's a really good question because um i think very often we think about a job and a career and then you think right well that means I'm going to always be working in a car factory. For example, my wife is a, an automotive engineer, so she'll always be attached to a car plant. And likewise, um, you know, something like a lawyer, they're always going to be generally working at solicitors, places like that. However, like, say, an accountant or actually to a certain extent, a, a lawyer solicitor, you can work anywhere in software engineering because every company has software requirements of some kind. Um, so you, know, you could be working for an e-commerce retailer 
a retailer. Um, you know, Sainsbury's have a large tech department and they're a supermarket. Um, you could be working for a tech company, um, say a Facebook or an Uber or Spotify or someone like that. You could be working for an accountancy practice, writing internal systems. There are, I, I can't imagine there are many companies around the world larger than a few hundred employees that don't have some kind of in-house developer or um, working very closely with agencies who provide them with software services. Um, because as we alluded to at the start of the, um, the chat, software is taking over the world and it is finding its way into every single industry. So if you want to work for a retailer, absolutely, you can do that. Um, my first professional uh, software uh, job was working for a UK high street retailer on their warehouse systems. If you want to work for an accountancy practice, you can almost certainly do that. Um, there is no way that you can't work as a software developer, which is great because it means you're employable anywhere. It's also a nightmare working out actually where do you want to focus and where do you want to go because everyone can employ you. So do you still get bunched into the IT department for want of a, you know, a better title or is this software development world becoming a body in its own, its own right within companies? Yeah, I think it depends how the company is set up. So uh, yes, if you are, if you're not working for a tech company per se, if you're working for a retailer or what have you, you will be in IT um, and you'll be working alongside, you know, the kind of traditional what we think of as IT, so kind of networking people and uh, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, you'll be part of the IT department. But if you're working for um, a company that where tech is more the product. Um, then you won't feel like you're in IT. You will just be in one of the teams doing work um, in, in much the same way that if you worked at a, a car plant, for example, you don't feel like you're you know, a mechanic. You are working as part of building um, cars and, and the R&D and that kind of thing. So I think it depends what the company does as to sort of what department you are in or feel like you're in. Um, but you know, fundamentally, the job doesn't really change. Um, you are still writing code to solve problems for the business it might just be internal problems uh, for a retailer or it might be as part of the product if it were a spotify or something like that how much of this uh, role is is a team game it's it i've never worked in the industry but i've always wondered how teams work together to create something yeah so this is probably the hardest part of software so um my so, so i should say that my career has been peculiar i ran my own business for eight years uh, that wasn't making software but i wrote a lot of software for that business uh, to kind of keep the the wheels moving um and during that time i was a, i was a lone wolf i didn't even know another software engineer um i was you know i was asking questions online i was taking tutorials i was researching and and trying to solve all of the problems myself and, and everything was just a solo endeavor if i got stuck there was no one i could turn to i just had to keep going on through change tack change approach um you know uh, never never did i have to give up on a product project but i came pretty close a couple of times because you don't have a team so you can work that way and there's many uh you know many software engineers who do that and have you know great successful businesses making you know uh, apps and full stack websites and and really quite complicated bits of software made by one person you can work as part of a team and that's when um it becomes 
uh, easier in one sense because you're significantly less likely to get stuck um, because you've got other people to bounce ideas off and they can help you and you can help them and what have you, the kind of classic team stuff. But organizing the software development approach is, is hugely complicated. And I think a lot of that boils down to that you can't see software. It's in hard drives, it's in computers, it's in servers in the web. Um, and I can't remember who I've nicked this line off, but um, I read a couple of years ago that software is the largest thing we still make by hand. Like everything else, mm, yeah, we have... We've, we've kind of found ways to automate the building of. Yeah. But if there's a line of code in uh, Apple's infrastructure, it's been written by hand by a human at a keyboard. Like there isn't, I know we talk about kind of AI writing code and what have you, but that is, you know, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of the code that gets written. Um, and so, you know, if you were to look at, if we could visualize what software is, um, you know, a, a website run by one person is is maybe, you know, a couple of houses or something. Um, an e-commerce retailer like I used to work for, that's probably, you know, a, a small village. Uh, something like Facebook and, and Apple, they're maybe even bordering on countries worth of infrastructure. And it requires, you know, in some case, thousands of people to build that. And so, the way that that is addressed is to break everything down as small as possible. Like that's, that's one of the core parts of computer science and, and software engineering is to keep breaking the problem down into the smallest possible um, statement that you can until you get down to what is really just a, a few fundamental building blocks of, of, you know, conditional if else's and plus minus and divide and what have you. And so they do the same with teams. And so, um, we break everything down into small manageable chunks of work that build up to an overall feature or product. Um, and each developer will take one of those, what we call user stories. So it might be written as, um, as a user, I want to press the play button and hear music playing. And you, know, you will have thousands of stories written like that, um, that, come together to make a piece of software and each of those would get picked up by a developer um, and they would uh, they would work away on that and then they would push it back into the code base um, along with everybody else's changes um, and you know you you hope that you don't um, kind of conflict with with um, other people's work and there's all there's a whole industry of tools around just allowing teams to build software um, from kind of version control where you can look back through history and see who made what changes to the code base in, in what place to project management software specifically designed around um, around managing software. And there's even a whole industry um, called Agile um, that, that is an approach to making software that um, is all about kind of sort of fast iterations, do the smallest amount of work to meet the requirements, get feedback and change and move on. So yeah, just, just managing the software um, development lifecycle is, is hugely complicated and is an industry in and to itself. Um, and so if people are thinking, oh yeah, I really love tech and I really want to get into it, but you know, I just, I just don't fancy the coding side of things. Um, the the project management and product development side of tech is is just as important just as interesting um and an uh, industry that doesn't have the um the sort of the the scary terrifying code um aspect to look at and deal with every day 
interesting that we actually had a project manager on a while ago and he he was sort of telling us all about that world and it does seem mm. it, i can't believe how big the world of software development and coding and, and managing it is and i don't think you know this might i might be speaking for other people but like i don't think 95 percent of people understand that world and just how big it is yeah 100 percent. like i um I, i've sort of tried to explain what i do um at a slightly more technical level to people before and you can see very quickly that if they don't have a, a an awareness of sort of how computers work and, and what code is it, it just doesn't um it, it doesn't compute and, it, and it's not because people can't understand it it's just because it is very abstract um you know we've we've built systems and approaches to building software that is is just abstractions upon electronics and and that's pretty complicated as well um and you know i'm, I'm sort of fortunate in a way because of my background uh with my degree that i understand what's going on inside the computer to a certain level as well like i have an awareness there and that's not required at all but it, for me as a fairly practical engineering type bottom as happy with a hammer in my hands as i am a keyboard um that that really kind of helps me and so when i've tried to explain it before to people i'm, I'm like well, how do i explain this without like just completely bombarding you with fundamental technical information that's not going to help uh, and basically coding is writing a really really specific set of instructions that's way more specific than you could ever imagine having to write to tell a human you know there's a great video online uh of a, of a dad who he says to his kids, you know, tell me how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they like, well, do this, do that. And, and it goes wrong all the time because he follows their instructions perfectly to the letter mm. and something goes catastrophically wrong. And you can see the children like, oh no, of course that <laughs> happened. I just forgot that you would do that. It was like, she, I think one of the best ones was the, the daughter said, you know, put the knife in the peanut butter jar. And so he put it in handle first and she's like, <laughs> oh no. And that's what computers are like. You're that's like, I'll just do that. It's funny you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that. I've, uh, I'm working as a production engineer and I've got, um, my, my boss did an exercise with some of, uh, some of the lads downstairs of, can you write me instructions to make a tea? And mm. he did that literally a couple of weeks ago and it was quite a hilarious outcome actually. <laughs> yeah. Like even just like pour water well the assumption is you'll pour it in the mug but if you haven't said that yeah just pour so water on the countertop so and and that and that is basically a really good analogy for what a software engineer does we write incredibly specific instructions to tell a machine what to do that has no idea of the context and what it's doing why it's doing it and how to do it differently so if you miss something it will go wrong and so you know when you log into facebook or you open up netflix and and something weird happens that's because we a full stack developer forgot to cover off that specific case um and so then there's the whole world of testing software as well which is which is again hugely important to um to what i do because i cover so much ground particularly as a full stack developer you know i can start my day off writing a piece of you know ui with a button or what have you and then by the end of the day i'm i'm creating you know new bits of infrastructure to host a database mm. and and stuff gets missed and so that's where kind of testing comes in so you you don't pour um hot water over your foot so uh, i could be completely wrong here but this is just my brain interpreting what you said 
if somebody could crack the, you know, the case of building something with context that could understand your instructions, then that would make what coding does a lot easier. Is that AI? Is that what? Um, Potentially. It's not something I've thought very much on, to be honest. Um, I mean, the... Yeah, if we could give computers a level of context, that would be, um, yeah, that would be great. Um, however, I think at that point, you're getting towards consciousness. Mm. Um, and and the, these are interesting. This is many of the topics that you can look into on a computer science um, uh, degree um, and, and is an area of study and an active research of what is consciousness and, and what is it to have a, a computer. And really, when we're talking about what I'm doing, full stack development, it's multiple computers and multiple machines um, interacting together and, and serving requests. How how do we impart consciousness into something is is a really big question. Um, I mean, is it possible that our brains are just fantastically fast computers, maybe biological computers? How much more powerful are our brains than, um, than our current crop of computers? Uh, significantly, we just process information in a, in a different way. Um, so I think that's where you start to get into the realms of kind of quantum computing and, and all of the kind of big stuff going on there that, quite frankly, I'm not that qualified to, to sort of have an opinion on, but I think we can all pontificate a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think maybe that's a really interesting question. Um, maybe ask a, ask a computer science and AI researcher. I'm sure they've got some really fascinating thoughts around that. Yeah, it just seems that, is that the kind of where the software development world is heading towards? You know, quantum computing is going to be, start becoming a thing and and this whole argument around consciousness. is su- It must be such an interesting field to work in because you're kind of at the forefront of, I feel like software development maybe is just at the beginning of, of what we're going to be able to do with it. Yeah, I think so. It's that one thing that is very interesting in the industry is it moves very fast and there is an expression of standing on the shoulders of giants. And so, you know, the, a good analogy for, for me is that I, everything I write goes into Google's infrastructure. Um, and we are hosted by Google and Google solves a lot of problems for us. And they solve problems that 10 years ago, I would have had to have solved before I could even solve the problem my customers need and 20 years ago would have been hugely difficult and, and that's why the cost of software development has massively plummeted compared to where it was 20 30 years ago because we keep bringing in new tools and new ways of solving problems and automating part of the process and essentially making areas of your job redundant every few years um you know, there's 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 sort of trends and waves that come through the industry to solve problems for software developers so that we can solve bigger problems for users and we'll keep seeing those waves come in um you know year and year and decade after decade that eventually we'll probably get to the point like you say of some kind of um i don't know if it be consciousness or singularity or, or what but yeah but you know over over many many iterations of that we will we will find something i'm sure that that um has some level of I don't know if it's consciousness or what, but uh, but yeah, and that's that's part of what software engineering is. It's it's not just solving problems for customers; it is solving our own problems and then feeding that into the system and having other engineers pick up those methodologies and use that in their systems, and then they'll they'll find something or develop something new. And um, yeah, we're all building on top of what we're all building um, all the time. It's um, it's one of the real 
upsides and downsides is stuff never change no stuff never stays the same and it's always developing but at the same time it's it's uh, hard to keep up sometimes because you've got so many people working not just on their customers problems but they're on their own software engineering problems and for you what would be some uh, personality traits that you think a software engineer helps um helps them thrive in this industry yeah so um i think patience and perseverance um what i'm working on um if i'm if i'm writing code around an area it means that i'm making something new or i'm fixing something so therefore most of the time what i'm doing is working with something that's broken um and trying to fix the next bit of it um and as soon as you fix it you're like great excellent you get your little rush of you know i fix that and then you move on to the next new or broken thing and when you get bogged down on something for a long time that can be really really tough when you've tried three or four different approaches and it seems like it doesn't matter what i do nothing nothing changes it nothing improves it and then you'll keep going you'll keep going and you know you'll maybe chat to a team member and you'll both have a look at it and then you'll have a little epiphany you're like ah okay and that could be two hours or it could be two weeks or two months you know it can be a very long time to get through and if you if you aren't able to persevere and be patient and understand that you're just going through the process um you're going to have uh you're going to have a disappointing time um and then also as well weirdly uh, communication skills are really important in software engineering unless you are that lone solo developer out on their own it is a team effort it's a team game um and you know i have uh dozens of calls a day with um with other programmers and other team members clarifying okay what is it you actually want this to do you know i know you've you know in the ticket you've written xyz but have you considered abc what do you want to happen there um and, and you're talking to non-technical people quite a lot of the time and so you need to be able to explain to them um any issues and limitations you have with the system and how you are writing that code and uh, um, what they can and can't have without just saying jargon to them um and then taking what you know they're saying back maybe it's a it's a user or a product owner you're taking what they're saying back to you and then thinking about how you can bring that into the system and how you can express those ideas um you know, one of the things I like to say to people is that is software is an expression of an idea. You had an idea to allow someone to click a button and have a car arrive and, and drive you off somewhere. Um, and, you know, you can think of that as a product, but really it's, it's an idea. And that's what software engineers and full stack developers are doing. They're taking those ideas, implementing them in code, showing them back to the person that had the idea and saying, is this what you had in mind? And if you're not very good at communicating, that's also going to be a, a tough uh, loop and process to go through mm. and for you what would be the biggest positive you've had so far within the industry oh interesting um i think when i wrote my first iphone app oh, cool. um was uh which doesn't technically fall under a full stack developer but it falls under software engineer um i i was running my business and managing a just-in-time manufacturing facility um and we were we never quite had enough money to really stock up on parts and i was finding myself 
running spreadsheets and stock calculations and all sorts for two and a half days a week and not actually, you know, improving the product or writing other software for the business around our e-commerce store and what have you. And so I was like, right, I am going to solve this problem with software because I knew what I needed. I needed something that could run those calculations for me and, and give me stock warnings and say, hey, you need to order this. And this was your production rate yesterday and what have you. And so, yeah, it was my first big piece of software. Um, took me eight months to write it, I think. Um, and yeah, I made a full um, stock management application for, um, for small factories. Um, and... The first time I input the data into that while we were actually in a production phase and I got a little stock warning to say, uh, you're going to run out of this part within the lead time plus a week. So you need to order that this week or that's going to be an issue for you in 10 weeks time. And I was like, this is amazing. This is I've yeah. solved. I've really saw, and I went from two and a half days a week of managing supply chain and all of that kind of stuff to less than a morning a week because the app took over a lot of that quote unquote thinking for me. Um, so I think from my own perspective, that was, that was really fantastic. And then uh, actually in the industry proper was the first feature that I wrote for uh, a user. It was on, it was during my induction. We were sat in a warehouse and um, this lady was showing me how the system works and it was a piece of in-house software and she just showed she, as a side note she was like I don't know why this list is ordered this way around it's really annoying I have to scroll all the way to the bottom to be able to see the most recent thing and I was like okay that is really annoying and it was on like day two and I was like I'm not going to say anything but I'm pretty sure I could fix that in about five <laughs> minutes and so I went back into the office and I said to one of the guys I was like so she said this and he's like oh yeah that does bug me I was like I can fix it. He's like, yeah, go ahead, fix it. And I think within like uh, a day or so, I got it fixed, um, got it you know, reviewed um, by another software developer. They'd okayed it, got it into production. And, I, and I, I rang her up and I said, hey, just go and have a look at that list. And she was like, oh, it's the right way around. I was like, <laughs> yes, it is. There you go. And that was really nice because it was, it was literally you know, not very much effort for me, but it was a list that she interacted with a hundred times a day. And she was having to do all of this unnecessary scrolling because she never cared about the top of the list. She only cared about the last entry in the list. And it was, you know, hundreds of records down the bottom of the screen that she couldn't see. So that was really fantastic to kind of solve that problem for somebody that she'd had for years um, and know that I had an impact on her, on her sort of daily uh daily work life and on the flip side of that what would be some less favorable aspects of this industry yeah so i've kind of alluded to it already the pace is fast um you know new technologies come out all the time and you need to spend quite a lot of time um learning and developing your skills keeping yourself up to date so a typical week for me would be about 40 hours of day job work that isn't 40 hours of coding it's probably about just over half uh, maybe 30 hours and the rest of your meetings and what have you and then i spend probably another five hours to 10 hours a week learning in some capacity so that might be actually actively coding and working on side projects with a new technology uh might be taking an online course uh listening to podcasts um for software development um even you know my instagram is and follow a lot of software engineers um and talking to other developers you know it is a 
particularly the full stack web world, you need to keep up because uh, a change can come through. And if you haven't kept up to date, you, you very quickly find yourself not just one iteration behind, but, but four or five iterations behind. Um, and so, yeah, if you're not, if you're not kind of happy learning in your own time and, and putting that effort in, and it's all self-directed, you know, it's not like I have friends who are doctors and, you know, they, they know what exams they need to take. They know what study they need to take for where they want to go. Um, but I could invest five weeks learning a new technology that then disappears six months later. And okay, I wasted that time. What's the next technology that I think I should learn? Um, and so it's all self-directed and, and you never know if you're you're kind of wasting that effort or not. So that is, and that does, burnout is a real thing in the industry. It, it is a problem. Uh, it, not everyone suffers with it. Um, you know, that's part of the benefit of working in a team is you'll, you'll start to see the signs of somebody kind of burning out. Um, but, you know, uh, people retire yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a joke um in software engineering uh web world so one of the database technologies we use is called sql or sql and it never changes you know it changes a bit but it's it's massive it's been around for years it's not going anywhere and one of the jokes is like when you've had enough you just retire into sql and you just do database work for the rest of your life because you you're, you're kind of done keeping up as it were so that that is a definite downside um and not something that i think people are aware of until they get they're into the industry by that point and then it's like oh no this is this is what i also have to do to keep up and uh, usually at this point we go away and we talk about average salaries so we go and look mm. for some data and just see if you would agree with the figures um so apparently the average salary for a full stack developer in the uk is around fifty thousand pounds does that sound about right yeah i think that that's pretty spot on actually uh, it's it's gone kind of crazy in the last six months um so i would expect that number to jump up over the next two years um as data kind of comes in i would say probably within a couple of years that'll be more like 65 70 000, um wow. just because the pandemic the pandemic forced a lot of people to have an online strategy where they didn't before or to significantly invest in their online strategy um so be it you know primarily e-commerce um and so you're seeing a lot of companies uh, doubling tripling quadrupling their their engineering teams um and so that is pushing salaries up um significantly bringing them more in line with the us which has always had much higher um full stack salaries so do you think um that in say 10 maybe 20 years time all companies will have maybe a software developer within them like they would have a marketing manager per se uh, yes, but I think if they're a company of any size, it'll be it'll be more than just you know one or two people. It'll be a it'll be a team or a team that's part of an agency that they're they're paying for, which is is also very common. Um, this industry is is only growing, and the requirement for full stack specifically is growing because we're generalists. Um, we can cover a full end to end feature front to back in a way that um, if you had more specialized um, engineers, they, they wouldn't. Um, we wouldn't do as amazing as a job at each of the sections. You know, our UI doesn't generally look quite as good as a specialist front-end UI developer and our 
our um, our backend code might not be quite as optimized as a specialist backend engineer. However, we can you know we can build the whole thing front to back. Um, and so yeah, that that specifically full stack uh, requirements uh, is growing. So when we talk about software development, you mentioned we have front end, we have back end, mm-hmm. and there's another one as well you mentioned. Yeah, so there's like sort of the database and infrastructure Data. layers. Yeah. So is that if you're a tech company? Are those three the main steads of everything the company does? It, all three of those, but they just break them down into specialisms, or is there an, another part to the world we don't know about? Uh, no, I think that's that's a pretty good summary. I mean, I'm lumping the database and the infrastructure layer together, but again, you could actually divide that further um, and say what well, infrastructure is different from database. So you can kind of look at it as as four levels. Um, there's a um, traditional IT, so go back kind of 10, 20 years there was quite a division between development and operations. Um, so, you know, you would, um, you, your developers will work for a number of months uh, to have it all working on their local systems. And then they would throw it over the fence to operations and operations would then have to, usually with significantly less time, um, have to work out how to actually get the application up and running and and, and working and, and spin it up. And it was often sort of, you know, horrible weeks of, of work of, of getting it to work. And so there's a blending now of the two called DevOps, uh, which is a, a whole career in its own right as well, of making that sort of continuous process much um, less fraught. And so that means that as a developer, I now have to have uh, much more understanding of the, the deep, dark infrastructure, whereas 10 years ago, I, I probably wouldn't have had to have had any knowledge of it at all. Um, so, so yeah, there's four layers. And, and if you're at a tech company, your product relies solely on those four layers. All of the work you're doing at those four layers is your product. Whereas if you're working for something like a retailer, those four layers are very important, but they're in service to the product that's that's being sold. So it's a slightly different mindset, um, but still fundamentally um, the same the same work. And uh, what would be something that's just not in the job description you never expected to be dealing with um, working in this industry? how difficult the team process is um it it is surprisingly hard to uh keep a team of of software developers um and product people and testers all kind of moving along together at a good pace that's predictable and understandable um and actually delivers what uh, a business or customer needs and this is where the agile industry has come in to to try and address that um and i never realized how tricky it was for that process to work and when it goes wrong how badly it can go wrong not just from a product point of view but also from a um the impact it has on the team members, it's definitely really important and just not something that you think about because you think, oh, I'm just coding a computer and telling it what to do. It's like, no, you're working as part of a team and it's really hard to manage all of that. With um, there being a short supply of um, people for the jobs and the salaries increasing uh, year on year do you find a lot of movement within the industry of people being poached for different companies and things like that yeah um i think it is a problem because 
once you're at a company, and this is the same for any industry, your pay rises generally aren't going to be much more than than five, ten percent a year, and, and even less if you're, um, you're less fortunate. Um, and so, if you can if you can jump your salary 30 percent after a year by making a move to another company, um, particularly in the kind of junior through mid level, um, before you get up to kind of senior and, and lead developer, um, yeah, p- people make those jumps and make those moves, and that's why you you, know, you hear about Google having beanbags and slides and you know unlimited paid time off which is what netflix has um and just trying to make it a really nice pleasant work environment because it is it is a hard job but it's not you know it's not physically hard it's just mentally uh, draining and if it's an unpleasant work environment um for whatever reason or you don't feel like you know you, you get enough holiday and that kind of thing that's a way that companies can differentiate but um but yeah, I mean, it's the when I say the demand is high, I um, I probably get two or three um, inbound recruiter emails a day. Um, day. Yeah, a day, a day. Wow. So I can I can look at my LinkedIn. Uh, that's actually that's just my LinkedIn. We'll have two or three a day. My email will probably have another one or two, and I probably get two or three phone calls a week um so yeah and that's not just me that's that's every software developer i know and, and you know that's happening to other people on your team as well <laughs> so like you're like oh who's got what call and like are we all still going to be here in six months and what have you so yeah when, when i say the demand is high it is astronomically high right now what piques your interest then when some of these recruiters are coming to you because you know loads of industries you know uh, get bombarded by recruiters but what's something that makes you go oh actually I'm, I'm quite interested in this yeah so for me personally I'm very user and product driven um, I really want to solve a problem for a user and make a user's life better and so if I can see the work I'm doing has an impact directly to somebody, that's very rewarding for me. Um, you know, I, I said the whole that story earlier of reversing a list, but I knew it had a big impact on, on her day. Um, but some people don't, they, they don't like that. They don't like the kind of the, perhaps the pressure that that brings. Um, and so that, you know, that's fine as well. You know, there's, there's plenty of roles. The user will never see what you're doing and it's backend work. And it's more about sort of keeping systems up and running and optimizing. Uh, and there's also a lot of maintenance work as well. You know, you don't, I said earlier, you kind of have to keep up. You you don't because there are older systems um, that aren't going anywhere. You know, there's there are languages that we would now consider dead in programming that still run large parts of most countries' infrastructure from power and um, electrical distribution to the banking sector, languages like Fortran and Cobalt. You know, people haven't actively written new things in those for 20 years but there's a big industry in just maintaining old systems. So if you really like that kind of thing, that that's also somewhere that you can go. And, and again, that's all often made pretty clear in the job specs. So, you know, you get pretty good at going through job specs when you see as many as, as you do in software and picking up, is this a new development role? Is it a maintenance role? Is it a... Um, an optimization role um, and you know it's there's lots of uh, depending on how your brain ticks there's lots of different options for uh, what piques um, your interest and what will make you actually go back to a recruiter but unfortunately that doesn't really help a recruiter pick the interest of a, of a software engineer because it's more about the role than it is about the way it's presented um, unfortunately for for recruiters 
So how does somebody begin to progress once they're in the industry? Yeah, so a typical career path would start as a junior developer. Um, and then maybe after a year or two, uh, you'd be promoted to software engineer um, or um, mid-level developer. Um, that's often broken up into like uh, sort of software engineer one and two, and then you have senior and then lead and principal above that. And as you go through that, as a junior, there's very little expectations on your ability. Um, you would be working a lot with another developer, seeing how they work. You might get given small tasks to go and take away on your own uh, and come back and, and see how you did. Um, and it's, a, it's at that point, it's very much about taking the, the knowledge that you have and, and seeing how it sort of fits into a, a production system. As you move through, it's it's all about writing uh, code that is um, easy to maintain, um, well tested, and ideally bug free. But that is uh, impossible in, in my view. There will always be bugs uh, that get through uh, somehow. Um, and then working better with others. Um, so, like I said, it, it's collaborative. Nobody wants to work with a rock star coder who is uh, a pain in the backside to deal with. Um, it's just unpleasant. Um, you know, that, 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 and that is a, that is a, a sort of a, an issue. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's about sort of seeing, solving problems, developing your skills, being a good communicator, and really engaging with the team is is the recipe for success in software engineering um, and just being proactive and developing yourself and delivering value to the business um, is, is the way forwards um, on that front and, and just time served really. I mean, it's sort of two years junior, three years mid-level, um, four years, maybe then you're, then you're sort of senior. Um, and, uh, and then you get to start mentoring more, uh, maybe take on some management responsibilities, but that's not required. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, a lot of it is soft skills as much as it is um, sort of hardcore technical skills. And uh, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Absolutely. I love uh, writing software. I love coding. I love awesome. solving problems for people. Um, so yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I would, um, I would still go into this industry, uh, even knowing what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Simon. It's genuinely been so interesting and I could talk to you for hours. Um, yeah, <laughs> really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's been uh, yeah, really good fun to uh, talk about what I do every day. I really enjoy it. Well, thank you. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, so best place to find me is my Instagram, uh, which is um, at all the code, A-L-L-T-H-E-C-O-D-E. Uh, and I have pretty much daily posts and stories on uh, writing software, becoming a better software developer um, and, uh, and that kind of thing. So yeah, go check me out on Instagram. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Great fun.